My name is Tracy. I am the engineer for RAG Radio. For today, we have a special show for yourselves. RAG Radio is syndicated weekly, hour-long radio program that originates from KOOP 91.7 FM, KOOP.org here in Austin, Texas. RAG Radio is rebroadcast by several community radio stations, including WFTE and KPFT. And all shows are posted as podcasts at the Internet Archive, the RAG Blog, and Veterans Today. And you can follow theragblog.com for all of our stories as well as our archive of shows there as well. RAG Radio producer and host Thorne Dreyer is off today. And Su- Susie Sheeler, who's our associate, is home with the grunge. <laughs> but Roger Baker is present and accounted for, taking pictures as always. And filling in for Thorne is RAG Radio regular Alice Embry, whose guests are Austin-based health justice act- activists Nicole Stasek and James Cole. Alice Embry is a longtime Austin peace and justice activist and union member, a veteran of the women's liberation movement. Alice also worked with Austin's legendary underground paper, The Rag, uh, in the 60s uh, in rights for The Rag blog, and has been a guest and co-host on The Rag Radio before, and is one of the editors of the acclaimed book, Celebrating The Rag, Austin's iconic underground newspaper, Take it away, Alice. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine, Tracy. And uh, so I'm standing in here for Thorne Dreyer, and uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that Thorne and Tracy hope that uh, all goes well here. No glitches. <laughs> um, I, am, I am joined by two activists here, and uh, they both are working in an area that affects everybody in this country. It affects old people. It affects young people. It affects Parents with young children, teenagers, it affects people who have elderly parents, and uh, it's, it's uh, health care. It's a huge part of the economy, and um, I, what we're going to talk about here is a campaign for um, Medicare for All, and also uh, on a local level for, um, let me make sure I have this right, paid sick days. Okay, and uh, so... James, I'm going to start with you, and um, James, James Cole uh, came to Austin via Massachusetts, and he works in, um, in, in a television production, and James, could you, uh, could you talk a bit about how you got involved in Democratic Socialists of America, and in particular in this uh, Medicare for All campaign? Sure. Uh, It's sort of one and the same, right? Um, uh, I've had uh, medical emergencies that affected people in my family who have been sort of crippled with debt. Uh, Leading up to that, I had done a lot of reading around things, and maybe I'd gone to, like, Occupy marches and and things like that, but I hadn't really gotten involved on a day-to-day basis. And and as as that sort of dawned on me um, that... You know the the uh, lack of health insurance and and affordability of health insurance specifically was sort of crippling lots of people that I knew and loved very dearly. Uh, you know, I, I decided to kind of try and take it a little bit more seriously. And DSA in particular uh, has sort of named that as one of their main goals for the upcoming two years. Uh, that being Medicare for all, uh, universal single payer health care. Uh, so it, it seemed like a natural fit for me. Well. 
Thank you. And I'll, I'll ask uh, Nicole now, Nicole Stasek. She came here via Alaska. And as I understand it, you're an electrician with the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Nicole. And so can you tell me how you got involved in uh, activism generally and also in this, um, this particular Work Strong Austin campaign? <laughs> sure. I actually um, came into activism through my union. Um, I'm 31 now. I've had a job since I was 12 years old, actually. Um, and it wasn't until I did join a union that I had um, a living wage, um, that I had any kind of benefits or job security. So it, I came into activism probably a little bit more organically, Um I was feeling really disgruntled as a food service worker um, and just looking for a job that would, yeah, offer me security and benefits. And I grew up in a household where um, the word union was a positive thing. So, yeah, just uh, my uncle's an electrician, so that's how I came to the IBEW. Um, are, are there many women Electrical workers? No, actually, I tell people ever since affirmative action um, mm-hmm. came into um, came into effect in the seventies, we actually have the same percentage of women wow. in the trades that we did since back in the seventies. So that, um, yeah, that does hasn't really grown too much, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was really through that. Uh, and how, I, what about the Austin um, Work Strong? Yeah, uh, the Work campaign. Strong Austin Coalition. Coalition. Um, so I was pretty active in my union. I really wanted, I was looking for a way to expand on that and bring that, uh, bring those positive things that happened in my life once I joined a union. I wanted to bring those to other industries, in particular the industry that I came in uh, from, food service, um, and especially the most exploited people, low-wage workers. Um, and that's how I came into the Fight for 15 movement. And we were invited to be a coalition partner um, with the Work Strong Austin Coalition. So that's that's how I came to the campaign. So I I enjoyed very much going down to uh, the campaign meeting or the canvassing meeting that happened on Sunday, and there was so much energy there, James, and uh, people, I don't know, 30, 40 people went out walking uh, with leaflets on Medicare for All and on paid sick days, and just doing that old-fashioned work of going up to people's doors. And so uh, can you explain how that canvassing effort's going? Sure. Um, So on Sunday, I think we actually had about 50 people turn out, which was a a pretty nice turnout. We knocked on over 1,500 doors, something like that, um, and got about 200 people in District 10 to sign on in favor of the Paid Sick Days campaign. Mm while also talking to them about DSA's National Medicare for All campaign. Uh, this was the third one of these events that we've had so far. We think we're at around 5,000 doors knocked in Austin total so far, yeah. which is not bad. Um, and it, it's a, uh, you know, we're just one city doing this. Uh, like uh, in Oakland, they routinely turn out 200 people to go knock doors for that. They're also... Uh, combining the Medicare for All with the local, uh, the state-level single-payer. 
Uh, and then there's chapters doing this in Philadelphia. Uh, it's been done in Dallas and San Antonio as well. Uh, so it really is sort of a nationwide campaign that DSA has been uh, been trying to get going. So what what kind of response do you get from people when you knock on their door? Uh, the response is, <laughs> has been uh, almost entirely positive. Uh, we're certainly targeting working class neighborhoods, so we're trying to avoid people with big mansions who might be uh, opposed to <laughs> mandatory paid sick days. But people in Austin love the idea of paid sick days, and you talk to a lot of people who don't have any access to that, right? And so the idea that that finally uh, the city is going to get its act together and, and, and push for that is something that's really exciting for a lot of people. And then I think over the past eight or nine years, the issue of healthcare in general has become so politicized that everyone has an opinion on it. And when you talk to people about the examples of, of nations that already have single-payer healthcare, you know, it's a pretty easy sell. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't get people saying, ah, oh, that could never happen here, and, uh, you know, how are you going to pay for it? And that, I mean, do you get those kind of responses, but you have answers to them, I guess. Yeah, we, we definitely get some of that, and, and you know, we've, we've had some, some get-off-my-lawn moments with some people <laughs> and, and at least one gun pulled on someone. Um, but for the most part, people are, are, are receptive, and we do, uh, before any Canvas event, we uh, do a good deal of training. Uh, mm-hmm. We have uh, uh, frequently asked questions printed up. Uh, we go over everything. Uh, we do a little bit of role-playing beforehand so that everyone is very well-prepared to go out and answer any of the questions uh, that they're likely to hear. Yeah, I saw one of those role-playings, and I thought it was fascinating because the woman at the door was, uh, well, what about my husband? He works in the insurance industry. And there was an answer that someone gave to that, that the, one of the bills has uh, provisions in it for retraining. Right. So the, the version of Medicare for All that DSA uh, is putting forward is sort of like a five-point program. And I'm going to try and remember these off the top <laughs> of my head, and hopefully it'll go well. Um, so it, it, one of those uh, points is that there would be a jobs program alongside of it. Mm-hmm. So it'd be replacement it'd be, or, or job placement training, uh, severance packages, that sort of thing. Um, the other four things are that it would be a single program rather than a patchwork of programs. Mm-hmm. So instead of having um, you know, Medicare and Medicaid and CHIP and different states and everything, you have one single program, uh, that it would be free at the point of service, so no deductibles or co-pays uh, or hidden fees or anything like that, uh, that it would be comprehensive coverage, meaning that it would cover all sorts of services that need a medical professional, including mental health, uh, free abortion on demand and without apology, uh, 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 health care services for queer and trans people, uh, and then lastly, that it would be truly universal, meaning not just citizens. Everyone within the borders of the United States would have access to this. Well, that's it's pretty visionary. And... Nicole, I'm going to turn back to you and sort of ask some of the questions like, uh, what is is a paid sick days policy, if people don't know? Yeah, I'm actually surprised about how many people don't know what paid sick days are. It might just be the circles that I run in. Mm -hmm. Um, It it is surprising to me that it's only 40%, uh, only nearly 40% of people in Austin, working people in Austin, don't have paid sick days. Um, But basically what they are is uh, a lot of people right now, if you 
are sick or if you have a child that's sick or a loved one that you need to take care of or you need to go to a doctor's appointment um, during working hours, you basically lose pay for the day. Um, and, and sometimes you can lose your job. I mean, yeah, and, and oftentimes you, you lose your job. Mm-hmm. Um, paid sick days is, uh, at least for Austin, what that would mean is the way the ordinance is written, for every 30 hours you work, you would be able to accrue one hour of paid, uh, paid sick time. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you do get sick or if you have a child who gets sick or if you have a doctor's appointment that comes up, you can basically cash those in. Um, so you don't lose any, um, you don't lose any wages for mm-hmm. the week. Yeah. And is, as I, as I, I mean, it, I think for some people it's like, oh, that's pie in the sky, but th- this ha- is happening in other places, right? Yeah, it is. Um, as far as I know, it's, uh, we're not pushing for it federally, mm-hmm. but there are nearly 40 cities in the United States that have already passed mm-hmm. similar ordinances. Um, unfortunately, none in the South. So if we do get this in Austin, we'll be the first in the South. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's been received really well um, across the United States where it has been implemented. It's surprisingly been uh, received well on a bar- bipartisan um, mm-hmm. level. Um, yeah, yeah, I heard I heard one of the role-playing mm-hmm. um moments at the training and someone was like well I, I don't know I have I work for this state I have this why should I care if uh, if somebody this was somebody in a restaurant has it and right. the answer to that yeah is, I mean if I was to answer that question I mean unless you get in your hermetically sealed uh, car inside <laughs> of your garage and you go straight to work and the only people that encounter you in, in your state um, office or other people who have paid sick leave, you're probably going to encounter someone else um, who doesn't have paid sick leave. And right now, the majority of those people work in service industry jobs. So mm-hmm. if you patronize any kind of um, businesses that are service uh, oriented, um, most of those people have to come to work when they're sick. And that's just a material, that's just a, a reality. They have to pay their bills. And if they stay home, Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to lose out on money. So it, it's in everybody's best interest that everybody has paid sick leave. It's it's not, it, we shouldn't be looking at it as a benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really a public. It's public health issue. It's a public issue, health issue, really. exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly during flu season, we can say mm-hmm. it's a public health issue. Uh, you don't Definitely. want a child care uh, worker to be uh, sick, taking care of your children. <laughs> you don't want somebody sick making your food. So it is a, very much a public health um, kind of issue. Um, so let me ask you, James, uh, some of the questions that I think come up. Um, you know, prescription drugs are like out. I mean, they can be uh, incredibly expensive. And um, can, can you describe what would happen under a single-payer system that might make that better? Sure. Um, so this is actually relevant in the news uh, today because, what was it, just yesterday uh, they uh, uh, appointed Alex Azar, the uh, new um, 
director of the Department of Health and Human Services, um, who used to be with Eli Lilly and saw the price of uh, insulin go up 300% while he was the uh, uh, head of Eli Lilly. Um, so this is like this is part of the the healthcare crisis that's ongoing right now, and single payer addresses this really well, right? Like a lot of uh, like I mean, virtually every developed country has single payer healthcare, and because of that, they're able to set up uh, essentially they become the single buyer uh, mm-hmm. for any kind of healthcare services, which gives them tremendous negotiating power over the. Uh, uh, pharmaceutical companies that are 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 selling these drugs. So you, you you see it really clearly in like why drugs are so much cheaper in Canada than they are in the United States. It's because they have single payer healthcare, and that's the only thing that could possibly ever address the spiraling uh, drug costs. Well, one of the things that I think the drug companies would say, oh, you're going to kill us on research. Uh, you know, that's uh, do you not want new drugs? And uh, how do you answer that issue? Sure. So, I mean, right now, uh, essentially, the government is doing most, uh, the government and the nonprofit sector are doing most of uh, research and development, right? It's done in universities, uh, and, and it, it's done by, uh, you know, uh, people donating money to ALS charities or cancer charities. Mm-hmm. And then, like, like, the drug companies really don't do any of the actual, like, research and heavy lifting they take things that are that have already been figured out and they figure out how to package it and uh spend a ton of money marketing it uh and and spend a bunch of money selling it to you and all those prices end up getting pushed on to the consumer right so there'd be no need to have a marketing arm of a single in single payer healthcare, right um because you'd remove the profit motive from it and you'd be able to control costs while still, I mean, you'd probably be able to put a whole lot more money into research and development. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Tracy, do you want to take a break and and tell people some co-op news? Yeah, we could take a break at this time. Uh, We got something queued up that that Alice uh, recommended for today. As we go marching, marching in the beauty of the day, a million darkened kitchens, a thousand mill lofts gray, are touched with all the radiance that a sudden sun discloses. For the people hear us singing, bread and roses, bread and roses. As we go marching, marching, we battle to form men. For their hey, thanks, Tracy. That's uh, Joan Baez and Mimi Farina singing uh, Bread and Roses, a Classic. song that... A classic. A classic, and it was uh, inspired by uh, the garment workers' uh, strikes in the early 1900s when women poured out of the uh, garment factories, and particularly in New York after a terrible fire at the Triangle uh, Shirtwaist Factory. And they had signs that said, give us bread, but give us roses. And um, it inspired this song, and I'm, I'm always moved by hearing about that strike because I think there, they would have strike meetings with 
where they translated into 14 different languages. I mean, if you can imagine, it was an immigrant uh, population that was working in, uh, all along that East Coast uh, in the garment industry. And it's, uh, anyway, I love that song, so uh, I'm really glad that we played it. Um, and we're going to, this is RAG Radio, this is Alice Embry. I'm here in, and guest hosting for Thorn Dryer, by the way. And we have with us uh, two activists who are working in the area of health justice. And uh, they are James Cole and Nicole Stasek. And so we have been talking about uh, the two, two major issues. One, one is really a national uh, solution called Medicare for All. And I think I'm the only one, oh, Roger's here, on Medicare. <laughs> so I, have, I definitely have a stake in, and an interest in Medicare. And I also know how it works. And uh, Nicole, uh, well, there, maybe, maybe either one of you could pick this up. There's a coalition that's kind of working on both this national thing and a local issue uh, on paid sick days. So does anyone want to, do you want to talk about that coalition work? It's more uh, than it's, one organization, right? Yeah, it is. Um, hopefully I can get these five uh, <laughs> organizations on the first time. Um, the first one's a little bit, little bit of a tongue twister. Um, so it's five organizations part of the coalition. The first is the Center for Public Policy Priorities. Oh, the Center with Too Many P's. <laughs> it is famous in Austin. Yeah. Is, is that? Um, uh, the second one is Workers' Defense Project, which I'm mm-hmm. sure y'all are familiar with. Um, the Fight for 15, of course. Mm-hmm. Unite Here, Local 23. Wow. Um, and Young Active Labor Leaders, which is a constitu- an AFL-CIO constituency group of, um, I believe the age cap that we have on it now might be 35 and younger, mm-hmm. uh, who are, actually, you don't even need to be part of a union um, mm-hmm. to be part of the Young Active Labor Leaders, but it is primarily Young Active Union uh, Labor Leaders. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a pretty formidable coalition. And then, uh, James, I know uh, Democratic Socialists of America is kind of addressing this nationally as a priority and, and uh, working with this uh, particular local um, campaign. So um, can you? how did uh, DSA and Work Strong Austin kind of uh, collaborate? So I know there's a number of uh, people in various parts of that coalition of five organizations who are also members of DSA, uh, and they brought this issue to one of our general meetings uh, to ask for buy-in, and people were really enthusiastic about it. Um, Simultaneously, we were starting to kind of um, begin the work of heading towards these Medicare for all canvases uh, that DSA has been doing nationally. And it seemed like a really natural fit to sort of combine the two. Uh, DSA has around 800 members locally, uh, which puts us in a kind of unique position to be able to turn out large numbers of people who are willing to spend their Sunday afternoons knocking on strangers' doors. Uh, and it, it's, it was really exciting for, for all of us to be able to tie together this national program, which is a difficult sell in Texas because, you know, like 
previously the model is, okay, call Ted Cruz and tell Ted Cruz to demand Medicare for all. And we know that's not going to get us anywhere. Uh, so now we have a concrete ask that we can make of people uh, uh, tying it into the paid sick days campaign mm-hmm. uh, while still getting our message of a uh, national single payer health care system out there. Plus, I think you can dispel a lot of myths about Medicare for all. And, and some of I mean, some of the things you hear is like, well, don't you have to wait in line all the time if you have uh, some single-payer system? And um, and people, of course, forget that we have a rationed system now, and it is rationed by the amount of money you have in your pocket. And so what do you say to people when they say, am I going to have to wait in line? Yeah, I mean, you kind of took my answer from me already. It's all right. Um, (laughs) No, I mean, we have we have like the most severe and cruel rationing of any developed country, right? Uh, An example that I think really uh, works well uh, on this particular show is the story of Shane Patrick Boyle, who was a former RAG contributor. Um, He moved. He was the founder of the Houston Zine Fest, and he moved Mm -hmm. from Houston to Arkansas to take care of his mother. But when he crossed state borders, his health care was no longer um, uh, uh, valid, right? So because he was in Arkansas, he couldn't use his ACA program uh, to get the insulin that he needed to survive. And he tried a GoFundMe. Uh, He needed $750. He came up $50 short uh, and tried to ration his, uh, his insulin and was unable to do it, and he passed away. That's rationing. Uh, what we have now is cruel rationing. It's it's the the death panels that we would hear Republicans talk about, but they they're those panels are in New York City financial office boardrooms. Mm-hmm. That's that's a good way of putting it. I I had at one of my jobs I sat in federal bankruptcy uh, hearings before a federal bankruptcy judge, and I was shocked to sit there and. And listen to people who were filing bankruptcy because they had a disabled child, they had a, you know an elderly person that needed uh, full-time care, they were going bankrupt. That, that is, you're right, that's the kind of rationing system that we have now. And a lot of people, I think, uh, delay treatment, uh, they delay tests they're, they're told to go get because they can't afford them. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and on the medical debt, there's uh, there's I think around six hundred thousand medical debt bankruptcies every year in the United States, and it's just increasing because the the uh, health insurance premiums are increasing much faster than wages. So every year you see more debt bankruptcies than the year before. It's a totally unsustainable system that we're on right now, and and the two options are either. A whole lot of poor and working people are going to have to be somehow cut out of the system and not have any access, or we have to go to a single-payer system uh, in which everyone is guaranteed uh, access. And, I mean, for me, it's a very easy choice, obviously, and I, and I think for a lot of people it's a very easy choice. So um, one of the things, when I was a state employee, I was in the Texas State Employees, well, I still am in the Texas State Employees Union, and uh, now we had pretty good benefits Sometimes not great pay, but pretty good benefits. And um, so if someone like me, um, you know, opens the door when you're canvassing and says, look, I've got, I've got good benefits, why, why would I want this uh, solution to a problem I don't have? 
Uh, either one of you can pick that up. Well, I was going to mention that um, when people talk about like, oh, am I going to have to stand in line for this kind of health care? Am I going to have to wait a long time? I don't know about you two, but I mean, now I have insurance thanks to my union. I've, I've had it for about four years now. Um, before, when I didn't have insurance, I had to wait a really long time to get into an affordable health care care provider. I sometimes had to go to the emergency room, which I couldn't pay for. Um, it's incredibly expensive to go to the emergency room, um, when you get sick. But even now that I have health insurance, that doesn't mean that I'm fast tracked into the doctor. I still have to wait a long time. And if I need to go to a specialist, it could be months and months, uh, before I have to wait, uh, before I'm able to get in. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's a system that we have right now. Mm -hmm. And so if, would uh, people who already have health insurance be somehow folded into this uh, single-payer system? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and they would get much better and more affordable health insurance as well, right? So what, what we're talking about is essentially eliminating private insurance off of the market entirely. So any whatever uh, health insurance program you have now would be replaced by something akin to Medicare, uh, except that in, in this case there would be absolutely no co-pays or deductibles or fees. Um, for most people, uh, what you would see is a slight increase in your taxes or no increase in your taxes whatsoever uh, and a huge uh, reduction in the amount that you're paying for health care. Even if your employer is paying for your health care for you, like uh, my em employer I think pays hundreds of dollars a month uh, for me, that's, that's money that I would then be able to bargain with my employer for, right? So I, I would potentially have access to that again. Uh, I think taxes would go up like for about the top 5% of people in the United States under the current uh, bill that Bernie Sanders has put forward. Uh, and for everyone else, they'd see substantial, subs they'd be spending substantially less uh, combined in, in taxes and medical expenditures. Yeah, I think that one of the things that people don't realize, because it's such a balkanized system and you don't, you know, well, that's my... Who's running my prescriptions? Who's running my um, insurance? Uh, how do I get uh, physical therapy if I need it? I mean, it's it's a maze, and some people just go crazy with that maze. But uh, there's some alarming stats about how much of of this system is really just plowed into bureaucracy, marketing. Can do you have? Uh, can you comment on that, James? Or Sure. I don't have uh, all of the numbers in front of me right now, but I think it's something like 20 to 30 percent of medical expenditures go to the current bureaucracy, which is, uh, you know, uh, mostly insurance companies, but also things like debt collection agencies, uh, things like 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 you know, ambulance companies that are, are that have their own bureaucracies. Uh, Medicare, I believe, is about 1% of total costs go to the federal bureaucracy that oversees Medicare. Uh, so I think you'd see a substantial reduction in the amount that you're spending on the bureaucracy. Yeah. And um, on paid sick days, um, so when... Have you gone canvassing, Nicole, with canvassing? I have gone canvassing. Mm -hmm. um, actually, in the Fight for 15, mm -hmm. we we don't really call it canvassing. What we call it is shop, for, uh, shop floor blitzing. 
um, where we don't go to people's residences, but we actually go to their place of work. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been primarily the way that we've spread uh, the Fight for 15 movement here in Austin. Mm-hmm. Um, and what it, when you say Fight for 15, uh, yeah. not everybody might know that what that means. The Fight for 15, it's a movement. Um, it's a movement that started in 2012 in New York State, uh, I believe actually in New York City. Um, it's primarily a movement of low-wage workers that are pushing for a living wage and unionization. Um, so it's in, $15 an hour. Yeah, uh, I mean, for, that's that's the floor that, that mm-hmm. we're asking for. Mm-hmm. Um, Compared to what's our minimum wage right now? Yeah, I believe it's seven twenty-five, <laughs> maybe. It's yeah. more than double, if my math is correct. That's, uh, that would be a, a terrible increase. Mm-hmm. Um, so here in Texas, here in Austin, um, what that's meant for us is mainly shop floor level mm-hmm. fights. Um, mainly, you go to workplaces and talk. Exactly, and we we go into mm-hmm. people's restaurants. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mm-hmm. Not people's restaurants, but the restaurants where people work, um, primarily fast food chains. Um, yeah, and we just go in and talk to them and agitate. And and so I know when you encounter someone who who's never heard of uh, paid sick days in mm-hmm. a situation like that, what, what do you say to them? Um, well, I personally ask them, when was the last time they got sick? Mm-hmm. Um, usually... I mean, occasionally you will encounter a teenager usually, and they say, oh, I've never gotten sick. Um, and who, who's to say if they're telling the truth? But the vast majority of people will tell me, oh, I got sick um, a week ago. And then I ask them, well, what happened when you got sick? And they said, well, they answer two, one of two ways. They either say they came into work um, or they called in. So in the first case, I ask them, well, do you think that was a good move? Like, don't you think you, if you came into work, I mean, obviously you came into work, do you think maybe you got somebody sick or do you think it's safe to handle people's food when you're sick? Um, and that gets a conversation started. Um, if they answer the second that they call in, I ask them, did you get, did you get paid? Um, and the answer is always no. So when you are a low wage worker missing even one day of work is devastating. It's, People can't pay their bills on a full-time wage uh, when it's a poverty wage to begin with. So missing any kind of work is very devastating. Um, And so so, you piled the devastating economic costs onto Mm -hmm. the psychological costs of devastating, which might be that your child is sick. Right. uh, Or your child has a cut forehead and you need to go and get the cut stitched up or whatever. And it's a, it's, it's not a good situation for people to be in. It's, it's, uh, we put people under a lot of stress in this country with, with exactly that mm-hmm. kind of situation. I think uh, actually one, one thing that um, actually Councilmember Kassar brought, brought up yesterday in a meeting um, was that most people actually don't use it on themselves. People who do have paid sick leave, uh, sorry, paid sick days, don't actually use it on themselves they oftentimes use it to care for sick children or they mm-hmm. use it to take care of a loved one who needs uh, help and i've heard this from an educator friend of mine he talks uh, and also council member kassar mentioned this is that uh, my my teacher friend actually tells me he oftentimes has kids uh so if they have like an older brother or an older sister that goes to school with them if the younger brother or sister is sick that day, 
both kids will miss school because the parents can't afford to take take off to care for their kids. So they have several generations um, of kids um, missing school. So they have sibling care. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's actually, most people are taking care of somebody else when they're mm-hmm. using their paid sick days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, even working as a state worker, I will admit that I came to work sick. And <laughs> oh, I do it. I'm a construction for, worker. I don't, I don't I have paid sick from, days either. Took off for my kids. Um, so... In case people uh, tuned in late, can you just uh, say once again how this thing would work? You'd have so many hours, then you'd... Um, yeah. How does so that the, work? Uh, basically the way, and they've, uh, the ordinance is very simple. I really like that. It's not too complicated. The way it's <laughs> written is that all public, I'm sorry, all private employers in Austin would be required to um, give their employees the opportunity to accrue paid sick days. So for every, the way it's written now, um, which is actually a big compromise from what the workers wanted. Um, we did have like a pretty extensive uh, public, um, what's the word for it? In, input, mm-hmm. uh, stakeholder meetings. Mm-hmm. Yep, stakeholder meetings. Um, we had an online forum that people could uh, voice their concerns and their questions and their desires uh, in the ordinance, we actually, as workers, we're pushing for 12 days. So right now, for every 30 hours you work, you earn one hour of paid sick time. Um, if you worked every day in a year, you would earn over eight days. They actually put the cap at eight days. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so if you work a full year, you would have the ability to earn um, eight days of paid sick days. And so does that, you can, what happens at the end of a year? Does it, does it? Rollover or uh, as far so away? I don't so we've been talking about a lot mm-hmm. of different possibilities mm-hmm. in, in the ordinance, so um, forgive me if this is not entirely correct, but I believe that no rollover is one of the mm-hmm. compromises that we right. s- that we settled for. Yeah, I no think rollover. I'll... But you can use it um, for yourself. You mm-hmm. can use it for a loved one, you can use it uh, to take care of kids, you can use it if you have um, a physical or mental health situation if you are the victim of um abuse domestic Mm -hmm. abuse you can use it to take care of your issues um yeah so it it is pretty far-reaching i think Mm -hmm. well it's exciting that it's uh i mean two things are exciting that this is even happening that's Mm -hmm. exciting that uh there's this canvassing effort going on where people are hearing about it and you're knocking on doors and telling them about it and um it's uh you know i i must say as kind of an older 60s activist that it is uh i can't tell you how wonderful it is to see the energy level of uh, so many young people who are you know in a room all revved up uh you know doing this i mean it's it's a you know the I don't. You know I probably couldn't have walked many stairs and inclines and whatever. But you know my hat goes off to you for for doing it. Um, are there? Let's see, Tracy. Uh, I was told that, yeah, yeah, that we, we should take a break about now. Is that correct? Yeah, we can do that. Take okay, for sure. Here.
So that was called The Doctor by Slater Kinney. Uh, James, you recommended that music. Got anything you want to say about them? They're great. Ross. <laughs> <laughs> this was a new album, I guess, that came out. Is this one? No? no, that's a pretty old one. Oh, okay. Um, so thank you for uh, you know updating the musical uh, selections uh, from Bread and Roses to uh, the current era. And um, I'm Alice Embry. I am filling in for Thorn Dryer, who is the usual host of RAG Radio, and you are listening to RAG Radio, and you're listening to a couple of people I'm interviewing who are health justice activists. And um, I know, James, you're, you're, I believe you're an officer in the local chapter of uh, Democratic Socialists of America, and so can you tell people a little bit about what that organization is. I think I got involved with it in Austin when there were 14 people. So how many are there now? So there's about uh, 800 members <laughs> of uh, Austin DSA right now. Um, uh, DSA uh, nationwide has about 30,000 plus members. Uh, we're the largest socialist organization uh, in the United States. Uh, I mean, I think we have chapters in 49 out of 50 states. Last I checked, one of the Dakotas. Uh, not a lot of socialists up there yet, but we're, we're going to fix that. Um, and we do a lot of work uh, here in Austin. Uh, we have a, a labor uh, committee that just put on a really great uh, training around Labor Notes book, Secrets of a Successful Organizer. Uh, our Feminist Action Committee is extremely active. Uh, they were, if you went to the events at the Capitol last Saturday, you almost certainly ran into them. They were tabling and Yeah, talk- I was tabling, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. Um, there's a, a housing committee that does a lot of work. Uh, uh, I mean, they're, they're really active in, in a lot of uh, different sectors, uh, both locally and nationally. So why would uh, DSA... Socialist organization want to take on Medicare for all. I mean, is that uh, it's a I I gather it was the top priority for the national uh, organization. Right. So uh, currently about one out of every six dollars that's spent in the U.S. economy is spent on health care. Uh, as socialists, we want to decommodify as much of the market as possible. Uh, and this is a really common sense and fairly popular uh, uh, issue that we can get behind. Uh, it has broad support among registered Democrats. I think it's something like 70 to 80 percent of registered Democrats, uh, which does not always translate to support among elected Democrats, um, but that's a larger conversation. Um, but it, it, it's, we see it as a, a, a necessary first step on the road to democratizing the economy. And making health care a right, not a privilege, as it is in, in our society right now. I know, I know that in the olden days, uh, when my... I mean, people... you. It's an odd situation in the United States to have had a uh, employer-provided health care system. And what's happened as there's been so much change in the workforce is that people don't have they, – they work as contractors. They, they don't have that stability. And uh, women come in and out of the workforce if they have children sometimes. And so uh, it, it becomes – what's the system that might have worked at least for a lot of people – uh, in the 50s, 
just plain and working. And it probably wasn't working for a lot of people in the 50s. <laughs> it's just a, um, it, it's a myth. Um, so when, when we say healthcare is a, is a human right, uh, well, can you talk about how other countries deal with this? Sure. Yeah. Um, so one uh, example that I, I I just read in a recent uh, article on Jacobin uh, on Jacobin's website is uh, the issue of people who need long term care. Right. Even Medicare, as it's currently constructed, does a really bad job with the eight million Americans who need long term care. Uh, it essentially just won't pay for it. Uh, some countries, uh, uh, Japan in particular, has universal long-term care insurance. Um, so if you need long-term care, it's totally paid for for there. And, and there are some Scandinavian countries where even if you need to take time off from your job to care for a, a loved one, a family member, they'll act, the, the state will actually pay you to do that work because that is work. Care work mm -hmm. is work. Mm -hmm. um, so in, in a lot of places, not only is there socialized or, or, or single-payer health care, but there's a more luxurious isn't the right word for it, but, but a more comprehensive idea of what constitutes health justice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I think that in the summer, I, um, when, when there was all the repeal and replace stuff going on with ACA, which is imperfect uh, by... In, in many, many ways. But some of the people who were most affected by that were um, people with disabilities, and they got out all over the country and in the capital because what was, gonna, what was at risk for them was uh, home health care, and they can't live independently without home health care. So that's part of what you're talking about. It isn't a luxury. It's, uh, it's the difference between whether they can live in a home or not, in their home. Um, let me ask a couple of questions, uh, Nicole, about um, labor and labor's involvement in this. Uh, because I, I, it seems that the AFL-CIO and the labor unions are, are making a lot of changes right now to, to be more open to uh, kind of working across the... Mm -hmm. across lines that they didn't work across before. And so can, do you have any experience with that? Um, with y'all, you're in, uh, what is that called? Yeah, Young right? Active Labor Leaders. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you just what I've personally um, experienced. I, can't, I don't speak for the AFL-CIO, certainly, but um, from a y'all perspective, um, we... Well, we're a part of the Work Strong Austin Coalition. Mm -hmm. So as far as um, public health, that, I mean, that's an issue that I don't think the AFL really had prioritized before. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, like, indirectly, definitely, mm -hmm. um, because I probably, probably can assume that most union members have health insurance, so that's always a positive thing. But, um, but it's working uh, to make, you know, to make the system more just... Whether you're in a union or not in a union, that's that's what I see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, another thing that I, I thought was really important that recently um, the young after labor leaders were approached uh, about the police union contract to uh, support um, voting it down, actually. 
um, and why, why the AFL-CIO um, more broadly chose to take no action with that and kind of stay out of that picture, the young active labor leaders um, voted unanimously to support it. Um, so that's, that's definitely gone um, a lot more untraditionally. Um, mm -hmm. that, that I think young people have different politics than, than what we call the old guard of, of the labor movement. So I, I, I found, um, I think, a really welcoming place in the young active labor leaders, and, and I hope that we, we do take more social justice stances in the future like that. Yeah, and that people aren't just in their silos of, right. you know, well, I'm an electrician, I don't know what those people are doing. I mean, yeah, and, like and actually my, my personal union, the IBEW, has, they showed up to the... <clears throat> Um, stakeholder meetings and support mm -hmm. of the policy um, and have come to nearly all the public events that spoke on uh, one of my union brothers, uh, Joe Hernandez, spoke to the media in support of the paid sick, paid sick, paid excuse sick me, days. Paid sick days. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because, I mean, we might be union members, but we actually don't have paid sick, day, sick days either. Um, mm -hmm. So it's definitely something that I'm doing you know, out of selfish reasons, I support it out of selfish reasons, but also for my, you know, my union brothers and sisters uh, who stand in solidarity with me on other issues. Mm -hmm. I want to see it for them. So James, what's been your experience working with um, labor, organized labor? Yeah, so I'm I'm a member of CWA and TSEU as well, um, and and I, I just sort of uh, adding on to what Nicole was saying, uh, health justice is a huge issue for the labor movement uh, because like we need to take uh, healthcare bargaining off the table as it increases, That's you know, true. premiums increase ten percent a year. It's impossible to, I mean, it, it puts a real, it makes it really difficult at the bargaining table, right? Um, and it also makes it very difficult to take any kind of work action, if, especially if you have kids and you know their health insurance is contingent on you continuing to have this job. So by decommodifying healthcare and taking it off the bargaining table, it's a real opportunity to kind of reinvigorate the labor movement in the United States as a whole. Okay. I'm, I, if, are there things that, uh, say, somebody out there in our listening audience wants to know a website to go to or uh, something like that? Is there, is there a place to learn more about uh, Work Strong Austin? There is. Um, <clears throat> I actually, every time I see one of these, I'm like, I need to actually try to do this sometime. But you can text uh, to get more information. Really? <laughs> um, if you text Work Strong, um, uh -huh. one word, all capital letters, Work Strong to 444-999. You can get more information that way. Um, another thing that we're encouraging people to do is uh, you can contact your city council member and talk to them about your personal story um, and talk to them how about how paid sick days, whether you have them or not, even if you have paid sick days, it is also really helpful if you talk to them about um, how, how they've positively impacted your life um, and just, you know, so sure. you, you can talk to city council and find out how they mm -hmm. feel about this ordinance and also, you know, Absolutely. explain I know, your own feelings to them? Yeah, I talk to a lot of workers who actually don't even know who their city council member is. Um, mm -hmm. That information can be easily found if you go on the Austin City website. Um, and I'm, I'm sure if you text WorkStrong or if you go on uh, WorkStrongAustin.org, that's mm -hmm. the other website you can get on and learn more information that way. Mm-hmm. 
And James, on uh, what's the easiest way to connect with DSA if you, if you feel so inclined? Sure. Um, you can always go to austindsa.org. Uh, we have a Facebook page that's fairly active. Uh, search for Austin DSA. Uh, we have a meeting coming up. Uh, if people are interested, they can come out to that meeting on February 8th. Uh, we're actually still trying to figure out exactly where that's going to be. But if people are interested, they can go onto the Facebook page and they'll see updates there. And then lastly, uh, There'll be a lot of Austin DSA members and, of course, probably everyone involved with Work Strong Austin at the vote for the paid sick days ordinance, which is coming up on February 15th uh, at city council, you know, at the city hall uh, downtown. So what time is their meeting on this? Is I think that- this is the thing that frustrates me most as a working a working class person. Um, I actually sometimes I get laid off and I have a lot of extra time, uh, mm-hmm. free time to go to city council meetings. Sometimes these more um, controversial issues take a lot more time to mm-hmm. process in the city council meetings, and they can literally go on forever, like sometimes over six hours. But do so, they start in the evening, or do they start in the afternoon? It really or? depends. Like, okay. Oftentimes the city, we, we don't know ahead of time when it actually um, things are going to go to a vote. Um so I imagine it could start as early as 3 o'clock, but it could come up as late as well, as okay. midnight sometimes, um, unfortunately. So that's why I want to stress, I mean, it's obviously, I think, super worthwhile if you can go to city council meetings, and I go, and I think they are worthwhile, and, and personal testimony is, mm-hmm. is very moving and important. Um, so this is Thursday, uh, February 15th Thursday. would be uh, mm-hmm. when they're discussing the, the paid sick days. Yep, that's when the ordinance will uh-huh. go up for a vote. So well. if you can make it, that uh, would be wonderful. Uh, <laughs> but obviously, if you if you can't make it to the city council meetings, a lot of working class people can't because they have mm-hmm. uh, obligations and children and whatnot to take care of. Um, contacting your city council member, mm-hmm. either through email, through phone, mm-hmm. you can even set up meetings with them, also is very effective, and, and they they do take people's input seriously. So I, I do encourage people to go that mm-hmm. route as well. Okay. Um, well, just to remind everybody, this is RAG Radio, and this is Alice Embry talking, and I am guest hosting for Thorn Dryer, who is usually here. And I have really enjoyed this. I think it's been pretty informative, and I've been joined here by James Cole, who's in Democratic Socialists of America, and Nicole Stasek, who is an electrician and a representative of, I guess, y'all, uh, the young... Young active labor leaders. Active and labor leaders. And also fight for 15. Austin. Yeah. And she does electrical work. <laughs> and I'm actually a DSA <laughs> member as well. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Okay, and um, Tracy. Well, it's been a real pleasure to have Alice uh, do a rare guest hosting spot. It's like here at RAG Radio. Uh, Ra- you you uh, know Alice, it's like from her writing uh, on the RAG blog website as well as being on the past shows. It's like for RAG Radio. Next week on RAG Radio, we'll have Thorne Dreyer back in, this, like, in the hosting booth. And our guest will be Bill Min- Minitaglio. He's the author of The Most Dangerous Man in America, Timothy Leary, Richard Nixon, and the Hunt for the Fugitive King of LSD. A lively topic for sure. We'll see y'all next time.